Oregon's one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store and Guardian Games, this is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And I'm Yash. And you're listening to the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Guess who's back again, Dave? Who is back, man? We are back again. Oh, Juster Studios. Huh? Juster Studios. And guess what? What's it's like the th- end of the year, bro. Let's celebrate a great year. Celebrate a great year. And we got a guest to not only celebrate the end of the year, but also celebrate the beginning of the new year. Yeah. He, fit, he fits in nicely with what we've been doing. Yeah. He's a great guy. He traveled out here to the Netherlands of... Tualatin to record with us on this rainy evening where there's traffic is crazy. The deep burbs. The deep burbs. So Dave, uh, I'll give you the, the honor of introducing our guest. Uh, well, this guest has uh, uh, cultural affiliations when we talk about Portland baseball, the 1970s and the Mavericks. Um, uh, a huge contributor, a man that goes by the name of Yash. So uh, without further ado, Yash, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. I played, uh, my name's John Yoshuar, my full name, but um, I played with the Mavericks in 1976 and 77. So I missed the first three years um, that they played, but I was here um, till the end. So I grew up in uh, Southern California, and the Mavericks brought me up to, to Portland, and I've stayed here since. Yeah, so uh, you played... With the Portland Mavericks from 1976 to 1977, is that correct? Right. Correct. Awesome. Um, and so we've got John Yashawara on with our podcast this particular episode. Uh, so we're so grateful that you're able to come out, spend some time with us today to record two different episodes. So as we like to tell everybody, we like to record the early years and then we get into the later years of, you know, baseball, uh, you know, post-career and what you're up to now. Okay. A bit, bit uh, of biography, a bit yep. of storytelling, mm-hmm. a bit of bit of perspective, a bit of bit of everything. And sure. So, yeah. Any great funny stories that you have of people is welcomed also. All right. <laughs> so, um, let's, so you grew up in uh, Southern California. Yeah, I did. I grew up in Southern California. And um, when I was about 11, I moved to a place called Thousand Oaks. And it's it's been publicized because of the shooting recently mm-hmm. in Thousand Oaks, but um, back then it was just a lot of orange orange fields and, and lemon trees, and it was a small town, but um, Bing actually lived in Thousand Oaks, also Bing Russell, mm-hmm. who owned the, the Mavericks, so um, the way I got connected with Bing was that um, my older brother was a baseball player, and he was four years older. He was more Kurt Russell's age. Mm-hmm. So he and uh, Kurt played together, and um, I was kind of tagging along, and um, Bing got to know me that way. Well, um, in the meantime, Bing came up to Portland and started the Mavericks, and I was still, I was just getting out of high school then, and he, he had seen me play, and I was playing college ball. And um, so he he had said that at one point that um, if things didn't pan out for me, if I didn't get drafted, which I didn't, and, um, you know, and I walked on at uh, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. I played two years of, of JC ball and then uh, 
made arrangements to go up to play at Cal Poly as a walk-on. Well, when I got up there, their shortstop was Ozzie Smith. Oh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> and so, um, and then they had uh, another guy by the name of Denny Martindale, who had started the year before, two years before at USC. So they were bringing him in as a transfer. Mm-hmm. And so I played winter ball with Ozzie and, and those guys. And when it came time to select a team, the coach brought brought me in. His name was Bertie Har at the and he said, you know, you had a great winter, winter ball, and um, but we just don't have room for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what did you bring me up here for? <laughs> oh, you know. And he said, well, we ended up giving a scholarship to this guy from Fresno, and he explained this whole thing. So um, he said, we just we can put you on the JV team, but as a junior, it just wouldn't be smart of us to do that. So. Um, so that's when it, it hit me right then that, all right, I'll go up to Portland and play. So, um, or at least try out for the team. And that's how I ended up, up, up in Portland. Yeah. Um, you know, my end was, is that Bing had seen me play. So it wasn't like I was walking off the street with mm-hmm. 500 other ball players in, in, uh, Civic Stadium and, and trying out, I, I had a, a a little more of an advantage that he knew what I had to offer. Yeah. So I think if I would have walked on and he wouldn't have known me, I would have probably been been out with, you know, 99% of the other guys that, mm-hmm. that didn't make it. Yeah, so uh, what I was reading about you doing some some background research is that you're, you yourself are a third-generation Japanese-American whose father fought in World War II for the for the 442nd Regiment, 100 Battalion. When that particular unit, earned, they earned eight presidential unit citations along with 21 medals of honor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your dad fighting for a prestigious uh, military unit during World War II. And it did say that your dad's a Purple Heart recipient. Yes, he is. He huh. is. And he was, a, he was an athlete, too. He, mm-hmm. His parents... Um, came over in about, I think my grandmother came over in like 1918 and my grandfather came. This is my dad's parents came um, a couple of years earlier. Mm-hmm. So he was born actually in North Hollywood. Okay. And went to North Hollywood High School and a lot of his friends, um, you know, went into the, the movie business. So he grew up with, uh, with Walter Brennan's hmm. son that was one mm-hmm. of his best friends. So he was really Americanized. He played football, was on the All-Valley all team, and, and um, had some scholarship offers. So, um, And he was, a, he was a fairly big guy for, for a Japanese. He was a fullback. Hmm. Wow. He was probably about 5'10", 220. Really? And, in fact, the, the, I don't know if this is true, but um, he said that they were trying to recruit him as a sumo wrestler. <laughs> And tongue in cheek, but I don't know. I never, you know, he always claimed that that was that was the truth. And a couple of relatives said, "Yeah, sure, that that was it." But he he was a big guy, and and um, so he he's the one that instilled um, athletics in us mm-hmm. because he 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 played, um, and in fact, he played it in the service also. Yeah, that they had a a, a football team in in Europe. And um, I don't know if they had a baseball team or not, but 
Um, he talked about playing in, in Europe, but he, mm-hmm. he did, you know, it's, it's a real, I have a lot of pride that he fought for the U.S. Um, rather than, than go, you know, he could have easily been in a, a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And I often asked him how, why he chose to, to go and, into the military, mm-hmm. knowing that you know his friends were in concentration like in camps or wherever. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and he said, you know what, I didn't have any ties to Japan. I mean, yeah. I, I was I was an American. I spoke very little Japanese, just mm-hmm. the, enough to communicate with his parents, and um, so they had something to prove. Yeah, and, um, and that that was something that uh, that he he um, went to all the reunions and and. The original um, group was actually from um, from Hawaii. It was a, a okay, yeah. It, it was a National Guard unit, mm-hmm. and so when Pearl Harbor was bombed, um, they wanted to go to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese. Yeah. Well, the military said well, that's not possible. We won't know who the the enemy is if we send you there. So they ended up um, getting sent. And training in um, in in um, Shelby Camp Shelby in Mississippi. Oh, really? Yeah. And so my and they were they. This is not baseball. This That's is, all right. Mm-hmm. They were that original unit was sent to uh, South Africa or not South Africa to North Africa. Okay. Oh, okay. And then they fought Rommel and then went to Rommel. Uh, wow. Yeah. Into into Europe and that's where my dad was. Um, I think he met them either in France or Italy as a 442nd. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so he he ended up joining them there and then got his um, his Purple Heart in a, in a battle. It was, um, they rescued this Texas unit. It was called the, mm-hmm. uh, the Lost Battalion. Mm-hmm. And they had been trying to rescue this unit for, you know, days and days and they were cut off. Well, they finally sent the 442nd up there, and they ended up breaking through. and uh, And he was wounded there. He, he took some shrapnel, hmm. but uh, his his uh, one of the things he was most proud of is that he was an honorary Texan. Because when they, when <laughs> that's they, hard to become an honorary when they, Texan. When they yeah. rescued them, then um, this unit made made them honorary Texans. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um, I appreciate that because. When I was uh, deploying to go to Afghanistan myself, I actually went to Camp Shelby, Mississippi. So oh, I kind of had okay. that connection um, there. And so I, I remember going there prior to my deployment and then mm-hmm. headed over. And then, uh, you know, my, my grandfather was a Purple Heart recipient from his time in, in Korea. So uh-huh. um, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, ser- service to the country. I really appreciate the fact that, you know, during this period of time, your dad... Yeah, having joined the military, but also he had an extra layer of uh, something to go through during that period of time because of the Japanese bombing Pearl Harbor and then, you know, the whole heritage background and having to deal with the, the, that issue itself. So, well, hearing that your your father was in? Uh, my my great-grandfather my great grandfather's in World War II. My grandfather's in Korea. I served in Afghanistan, and then my dad served right after me in Iraq. Well, my dad, one of my dad's good friends, um, he called he called him the kid, and his name was uh, Hiroshi Miyamura, and they they nicknamed him Hershey. Hmm. 
Anyway, he, Hershey got to, um, to Europe um, at the end of World War II, so he really didn't see much action. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, they, when they came back, this is this was what I recall my my dad's story was, is that they met. Well, Hershey was from uh, Gallup, New Mexico, mm -hmm. and they met at a bar in L.A. and were drinking. And Hershey said, "You know, I'm I'm um, signing up for the Army Reserves." And he said, well, what, you know, my dad said, what are you doing that for? <laughs> he said, well, you know, we just got through with the World War. We're not going to get into another war. <laughs> and uh, and he said, you know, it, it, and they pay you money. And so my dad said, no, I, I think I've had enough of that. Well, the Korean conflict started. Yeah. And Hershey got um, drafted back or recalled. And he ended up, if you, if you, Get Netflix. You will. There's a an, an eight part um, series on the med, It's called Medal of Honor. Yes. And one of them is on Hershey Miyamura. Okay. And he ended hmm. up. He ended up getting the Congressional Medal of Honor um, in the in the Korean conflict. And um, I had just watched that a couple of weeks ago, and I knew that Hershey spoke at my dad's service mm -hmm. and. That's the first time I had met him, and I, I watched that um, that Medal of Honor, and was absolutely amazed at, at what he went through. Yeah. If you want to watch an interesting, interesting um, story, it's 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 pretty mm -hmm. incredible. Those are those the, some of them stories on there. I mean, I've only gone through uh, I think two or three episodes on there. And they're pretty phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Just what, you know, some of those gentlemen they went through thus far and what I've been able to watch. Well, so. I, I, you know, I'd heard that, and I knew he had gotten the Congressional Medal of Honor. And when he walked into the, the, um, the chapel, it was at the, at the, the Veterans Cemetery, mm -hmm. you would have thought, you know, it was somebody, it was Joe DiMaggio in the Hall of Fame. I mean, the, the military people were yeah, just yeah. gaga over him. Exactly. And so, you know, and not never being in the military, I knew the Congressional Medal of Honor is a big deal. But it's a really big deal. I mean, you know, you've been in, in the service, you realize what that means. But um, to watch that program and see what he did to earn it was, was just incredible. And, and I've known about it for you know, 50 years, mm -hmm. I never knew, you know, the true story of it. Yeah. So. Well, that's some phenomenal story. I'll, I'll have to watch that. And if, if you, the listener want to do that, go on to Netflix and, and watch it. It is Medal of Honor. Um, and, you know, I think Netflix has, you know, the series out right now. Um, but let's jump back into, uh, let's jump back mm -hmm. into you. You, you know, your, you, your father played and your brothers also played baseball too. What position did your dad play? And your, he, was he was a catcher. He was a catcher. Catcher and um, uh, my brother was more. My oldest brother was was more into football. Mm -hmm. um, he was a hundred and thirty five middle middle linebacker huh. for Saffron in the high school of, uh, a few years before Anthony Davis got there, huh. who huh. played for for SC and was a was the runner up Heisman Trophy winner. Mm -hmm. But um, he he was more a wrestler and um, a football player. My middle brother Dean 
was probably the best baseball player out of all of us. Mm -hmm. But he ended up taking a different route and going in the medical field. And, and, uh, but, uh, I, I just couldn't give up baseball. Yeah. I, mean, I, I went to college because of baseball. Mm -hmm. I probably finished because of baseball, mm. but, um, it was something that, you know, I don't know if I was so much chasing a dream to make it to the big leagues. I mean, I, I think I had enough real ex realistic expectations to know that, you know, the end of the road was probably with the Mavericks, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't trade those two years for anything. I mean, it was, it was a chance to play against some, some high caliber ball players, mm -hmm. which, you know, to be truthful, there are so many players that, that don't make it into, into the pro ranks that, that should be. Yeah. You know, I, I've played against better ball players that were high, high draft choices for the Dodgers or whoever that never got drafted. And, and I, to this day, I can't understand what, what scouts look at mm -hmm. um, sometimes. So you, uh, you know, in Battered Bastards of Baseball, it, it shows um, when Bing's making these, these how-to videos and Kurt's MLB in teams them for the MLB yeah. teams. Yeah. And yeah. then... It says little John, and you know he comes over, and you throw your your glove. How did you How did you get involved in that? Well, I was always hanging around the field. Uh -huh. I mean, it was I was just kind of the little little guy that just was always had a glove and and was hanging around. So um, every day that they filmed that, I mean, if they started at eight o'clock in the morning, I was there at seven thirty, mm. and so um, you know, finally Binks. Look through the, and I was standing looking through the fence, and he said, You know, hey, kid, come on over here. Why don't you do something? We'll have you do something. <laughs> Put you to work. So he had me, he called me Pigtail. Oh, and really? Pigtail was his definition of pigtail. This must be an, an old, old term because he was with the Yankees in, in the 30s as a bat boy. Right. And uh, the pigtail was the person that stood behind the mound and collected the balls for the for the batting practice. Yeah. And um, he said, all right, pigtail, you, you put the balls in the bucket and, and so forth. So I was doing that. And then he, he said, well, you know, he always wanted a story. And mm -hmm. so even with his instructional videos that he had, he, he thought, well, you know, there's this little kid and, and I'll build this little story around him. That uh, even those Kurt and those guys were like 15 years old, and they were like, you know, they were my hero heroes at the time. And um, I think I was like 11 years old, 10, mm -hmm. 10 or 11 years old. So, um, you know, he saw that and he, th he thought, well, we'll just make a story about this kid that hangs around the, the ball yard. And, and so he built that. Up and and so that's how I got got in, in, mm -hmm. into that part. But um, it was really an in depth um, training film mm -hmm. at, the, at the time, and it was on. I don't like. I think it was like sixteen millimeter. Yeah, what they were shooting. And uh, I remember the the photographer would have this bag, and he would stick his hands in there, and he would change the the 
the film mm-hmm. because we were out in the open and it was, I mean, it was like in the, in the stone ages back then, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he had it, he had it for every position. Um, and I, I learned more baseball just by, by hanging around there and listening to that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and in the, in, um, the documentary, Kurt mentions that, um, you know, his backyard is a batting cage. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, you drove by the house and, and you just saw a batting cage in the backyard. Nothing was uh, was landscaped. It was just it was just a batting cage yeah. back there. So, um, yeah, he he was he lived and breathed baseball. I mean, it was just something that um, that he he brought Kurt up on it and um, you know uh, I don't know if Kurt had a choice or not he <laughs> he loved it himself yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he was a good ball player so what did it feel like after all those years to then watch the documentary and see yourself in this in the film not only in the film but then they have this this, oh, this yeah, older was, film of you how to baseball what did I, that feel like it was amazing because it's framed I, it's a layer in a layer I yeah, never realized yeah. that they had those those clips i mean we never saw them as ball players mm-hmm. and um and i guess you know after the games i guess the tv stations did small blurbs on on how the team did mm-hmm. but we never we didn't have a tv you know we we got to our apartment and um or wherever and in the it probably ended up going out we never watched the news at that time so all of these clips um, we had never seen, and it, it, mm-hmm. it truly was amazing to uh, to watch that. Mm-hmm. It was, and, and um, you know, the, it just brought back a lot of memories. And but you never forgot every face that I saw. I remembered their name. You mm-hmm. know, after forty years, it, it's still. Amazing! I can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but <laughs> that's but funny. I can remember forty years ago. Um, you know who the backup catcher was and and who the, our bullpen was mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So, growing up, who did you idolize as a baseball player? Whether it be um, in the major league baseball or at a kind of a, a minor league level. Oh, I was a I was a diehard Dodger fan. I yeah. Mean, I. I, I it's so funny because the first, I'm, I'm 60, and, yeah. I was born in 55. And so the first World Series I remember is probably 62 when the Giants were in, in the World Series with, with the Yankees. So in 63, the Dodgers were, um, they had Koufax and Drysdale and Padres and Maury Wills and, and uh Frank Howard and I, I could name you the lineup that they had, but um, one of the pitchers for the the Yankees in '63, in which the Dodgers swept that series, um, happened to be Jim Bouton. Oh, he there we go. A, he was a twenty-one. He was a twenty-one game winner mm-hmm. before writing the book, the infamous yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but that was that was his best year of his career, and I can remember watching him pitch at eight years old. And having that his hat fall, fall yeah. his cap fall off, you know, he had that follow through, and I thought that was so cool. And and then to think that, you know, 
at eight years old, I'd be playing with, with Jim Bowden yeah. somewhere along, along the lines. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. But. Yeah. So you grow up uh, playing in, you know, as a younger guy doing these films with Bing and Kurt. And then, you know, in high school, like what was your, were you playing infield in high school or? Yeah, I was, I was, uh, played some shortstop, mostly second base. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, played four years of, of, actually, I was the, I'll, I'm going to brag a little bit here. That's all, right. That's all right. I was the first, uh, freshman to, to play on the varsity team in that, baseball. That's okay. awesome. So, um, yeah, that was my claim to fame there in, in high school. But, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I wasn't a, a phenom, obviously I didn't get drafted, I was good enough to to start in college and and to get some looks and, and at that time and this isn't an excuse this is by no means an excuse why I didn't get drafted but at that time they were they were looking for size they were looking mm, yeah. for height they had you know the shortstops were um, Davy Concepcion was this six four lanky shortstop. And uh, Mark Belanger played for the the Orioles. Was the Cal Ripken before the Cal? Ripken. Yeah, yeah, Big and that and they yeah. and they. I once had a um, a scout tell me up here that if you had three more inches, you'd really have a good shot at, at getting oh. drafted. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, there was a guy by the name of Freddie Potek that was. Five three, I think he yep. was a shortstop for Kansas City. Yeah, you know what? He got drafted. He and, did. And he played in the major league, so that's not really an excuse Five, for Rafael me. for call and yeah, Rob, yeah, yeah. Rob yeah. Nyer talks about him in his book and yeah. the smaller guys, and then he goes on and talks about Jose Altuve yeah. and yeah. you yeah. know. And so I can day. talk about my size, but you know, I mean, there's guys that that made it that yeah that were shorter than than I. So what? So you you graduate high school. Did was this junior college looking at you like? Yeah, when you were were in high school, there were some uh, smaller colleges, and uh, but you know that's where the kids in Oregon, the high schoolers get get really cheated because in Southern California, play around. JC Ball is. I mean, there's there's. 50 teams in the LA area or 50 yeah. schools in the and they're area. not hampered by weather either yeah right I mean, yeah and, it, and but the one thing when you say hampered by weather when I came up here I was amazed at the the knowledge that the Northwest players had the mm-hmm. of, of the fundamentals because they were stuck in the gym right you know we were outside and we were paying for batting practice and we were taking Taken infield. There's a small enclosed space having yeah. to do the drills. And, yeah. You know what? I coached a little bit up here. And Interesting. We were in the gym, you know, 80% of the time in in, uh, in March, April, or, you know. And they, the coaches had to think of ways, you know, drills and so on. Jack Dunn um, was amazing. He was a, a high school coach at Wilson mm-hmm. in Cleveland and then went to Portland State um, the fundamentals that he taught and the little drills, just amazing. I mean, um, I would, and I, I think it took years for, um, the country to find out with Oregon State's success. Yeah. Um, you know, how much talent is up here yeah. in Washington and, and, uh, 
yeah. in Oregon, but it's just Bre- breaking assumptions. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. and and what the state's doing. You know, the, there's guys that we had a few players that went to Linfield, um, Bob Edwards, and and um, off the top of my head was one of them, and you know, incredible ball player and didn't get drafted, and I, to this day I don't know mm-hmm. why he didn't, but um, I th- I can remember. High school and college games where there'd be four or five scouts out a game out there just watching because there's an abundance of of scouting in Southern California. Mm-hmm. You know, if you only get that if you have a, a you know a five star player here in the Northwest that you'll get the scouts to follow them. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to to see them, but um, it's a whole different world. Um, down in California, you get a lot more. I mean, there's a lot more competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot more um, chances of, of being seen. So there's, yeah, there's opportunity yeah. with that competition. Which doesn't too. say a lot for me. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I was in the hotbed and never got drafted. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's you know, it's being in the, the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, there's... Like I said before, there's so many ball players that that weren't given a chance that could have easily easily played in in, uh, mm-hmm. in professional ball. Now, did so when you were in junior college, and uh, you wanted to move on from junior college, did Cal Poly State come looking at you to move? Come no, up? there was a few smaller colleges that. Um, that I could have, but at that time they weren't giving scholarships. I oh, mean, yeah. it was kind of um, like Cal Lutheran, and, and that was a a hometown school. But um, you know, they they would give financial aid and and so on. And I kind of wanted to get out of town anyway. And Cal Poly had a good program at the time, and you know, I didn't, I didn't um, look into it. And see what was coming back, and mm-hmm. so you know, half of it was my fault that I didn't know the situation that I was getting into. But to tell you the truth, you know, if it, I, I kind of wanted to come up to Oregon to give this a try. Mm-hmm. So it was like, if I don't make it there, um, then I can I can go up to Oregon and see where that leads. And so Bing told you, if it doesn't work out here, come up to see me in Portland. Now, was this when you were at, uh, at junior college? Was it before junior college or was it It was actually um, in junior college mm-hmm. that that uh, I remember him coming out and seeing me play um, one game. And then he talked to me afterwards and said, you know, um, I had a... I think I had a pretty good game, and he said, "Yeah, you know, uh, if his words were if things don't work out, you know, come up to Portland and try out." So, yeah, um, yeah, so, man. Yeah. So that was the case. And did you know he? Did you know he came up here to start the Mavericks at that time? You know, I had, I knew he. Yeah, I did because I, I at the time, uh, they had some small. Blurbs and um, sports, sports Illustrated. Okay. okay, and they talked about Reggie Thomas chasing the Frank Peters into the bathroom. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. we heard um, some stories. Reggie yeah. Thomas. And stories. I think they mentioned something about Reggie stealing. You know, I think he had seventy three 
stolen base or 76 or something. So there's little blurbs. And so I knew that was going on. I didn't know, you know, the, the success that was happening up here. Mm -hmm. And I think that first year was a little, was a little shaky. You know, they, they kind of came in and those guys that first came in that first year, you know, they, I'm sure they're, their attendance wasn't real great. The people were still a little leery about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, Hank, Hank uh, Robinson was the first manager. And he ended up kind of setting the tone for the team, I think. He was kind of a gruff uh, military-type guy. Yeah, he's a former Marine, yeah. Yeah, but he ended up getting suspended for hitting an umpire. Yeah, yeah that's... I think his son was playing yeah. on the team Cole too. Got him. Yeah. Did he coke? And, yeah. and Bing knew these guys from Southern California. I mean, Kurt had played played on this team, and so they had a, they had a lot of good players from Southern California. That um, Bing Bing was thinking, well, I'll just bring these guys up. You know, mm -hmm. they'll be able to compete, and not realizing, you know, and then still opening up the, the for tryouts for open tryouts. I don't think Bing had realized how much talent was in the Northwest at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think he realized the kind of um, turnout that was going to happen from all over the country. I mean, we had guys. And South Africa. Yeah, yeah. South yeah. Africa, right. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, there, there were guys coming out of the woodwork. But to tell you the truth, you know, a lot of those players probably couldn't make their high school baseball team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they were chasing a dream too. And it was, you know, their dream was maybe not making a team, but at least trying out. Yeah. They'll you know, always just, have that. Just sure. for the experience. I sure. mean, we had um, a guy by the name of Bob Morrison, who was from, um, from Vancouver, Washington. And he walked in and he was 50, I think he was in his early 50s. Huh. And he, he said, I wanted to try out. <laughs> he said, what position? And he said, a catcher. And, so, <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the guy could catch, could receive. I mean, if he was, you know, 25 years younger, he must have been an incredible ball player because at 50, he held his own. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that was the kind of ball play, ball players that, that came out. We had, we had a lot of, um, of, college players mm -hmm. that um and and Bing knew you know he he would find out hey that you know that guy looks pretty good you know what's his background and um they had a sheet on every player they had filled out they would fill out mm -hmm. their their credentials sure. and so on so he would kind of get that that sheet and find out, you know, this guy played at the University of Idaho or he played at Washington State and so on. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a heads up that, you know, wants to maybe look at an eye out sure. on that sure. guy. So, yeah. Um, so, um, first of all, appreciate you, you know, you coming on and, you know, uh, in everything, but uh, to end this particular um, part of the podcast and this particular episode, um, let's just. Ask one more final question on uh, on this part and close it out, and then in the next episode we'll work into the maths and sure. we'll kind of move on there. But at, what was the final decision? What what was the final thing or whatever it was that made you 
make the decision, okay, I'm going to leave California. I'm going to drive up or fly up to Portland, and I'm going to give this Mavericks thing a try. It, it You know, it, I didn't give it a second thought. I mean, it was just... Youth, that's what it was. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, it was a chance to, to continue to play baseball. And... Um, I was a. I was just finishing my junior year at Cal Poly, mm-hmm. and um, I think I was ready for a break from school anyway. <laughs> I mean, and it was it was the type of thing that uh, you know I had to leave a little bit early. I, I made arrangements with some professors to take some tests early, and I loaded up the car, and it was about a fifteen hour, fourteen hour drive. And I never gave it a second thought. I mean, my dad was all for it. You know, mm-hmm. he was the kind that, you know, lived for the day. And maybe he, he learned that from World War Two. Yeah. But it was, you know, don't have any regrets. Just do <laughs> what you feel like. And so there was nothing stopping me. Um, I didn't have any ties to to stay back so it was uh, it was one of those things that that uh, I just came up and uh, found out my roommate was uh, Joe Garza he uh, he came from Glendale mm-hmm. and basically the same thing he was he had um, taught a year in high school and decided to come up my other roommate uh, Bruce Wilbur literally hitchhiked from Anaheim <laughs> Um, with a glove and, and cleats and a duffel bag. So, I mean, it was just, you know, we were, we were just kind of baseball bums and, um, would do, would do anything just to, to stay on the field. Yeah. Excellent. Where were you driving? I was driving a 19, so what was that, a 1960, Six Impala. Nineteen Impala. Yeah. Arm out the window, hand on the steering wheel, just driving up, winding your hair. Because you had longer hair then. Well, everyone did. And we didn't have, uh, we're only getting paid $300 a month. Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't get get a cut that off. Couldn't get a cut, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and it was was just, and that was, you know, I don't know how much time you have for a story, but well, you throw we, it in. We could we could catch it up in the next let's, one. Let's lead in with a story. That's yeah. what I want to lead. Let's in with lead that. in with your story. Yeah. All right, all right. All right. Well, thank you uh, for John for coming on and ending the year on a high note <laughs> for the Diamonds and Roses podcast. And thank uh, you. I hope well, I didn't sink it. <laughs> oh anything, no, it's great. Dave and I probably <laughs> yeah. We usually the ones that sink it. So, uh, anyways, Dave. Great show again. Absolutely. So uh, for for us here, the Diamonds and Roses podcast, thanks for listening. John, thanks for coming on. I'm Ben. I'm Dave. Josh. All right. You have a great day. Peace out.